Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Taking a break from the jam-packed book tour for Filthy Rich Politicians. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you found a slot in the schedule to chat with me. Uh, I am exhausted, Bill. It is not easy to uh, hawk a book, um, even though nowadays you can do a lot of it from the comfort of your, uh, of your home studio. You have not been on the road, correct? Well, I mean, for me, now that I live in West Virginia, going going to Washington, D.C. constitutes being on the road. So I've, I've had a couple trips to D.C., but that's that's kind of the extent of it. Is there a friendly neighborhood West Virginia bookstore that's going to have you? Well, we actually had a book party uh, in uh, Shepherdstown, West Virginia on Sunday. That was kind of a friends and family party. Uh, and it was awesome. And the Four Seasons bookstore, not to be confused with Four Seasons Landscaping, uh, the Four Seasons Bookstore in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, uh, was on hand selling books that I was signing. Nice. So yeah, so we we kept it local, and in fact, we had um, a local uh, bakery called Bulliver Bread provided the shitsa, which is sort of like pizza, pepperoni roll kind of stuff. Uh, we had a local. Uh, is this a West Virginia delicacy, or is this just this one bakery that does this? It is a West Virginia thing. Uh, shitsa. I, I believe it is, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know West Virginia had things. They do, uh, like the pepperoni rolls. Is obviously a big, like, kind of Italian, uh, uh, you know, representation. Not necessarily in the part of the state I'm in, but uh, how, you know, how big is the Italian population? I know Mansion's Italian. I mean, it, our friend be, Michael Tomaski uh, yeah. of of the New Republic would be. Uh, a representative of of it. I, I don't know what the percentage is anymore, um, but it was uh, definitely, you know, think you know, think Pittsburgh, parts yeah. of West Virginia, like like you know, uh, where Morgantown, where West Virginia Uni- University is, are very close to Pittsburgh. So you mm-hmm. get a similar vibe there. Because that's not that's not the rep, you know. We don't think of West Virginia as where the Goombas live. Well, I mean, famously, it was. I'm not uh, Italian, uh, people. I can say that. Yeah. Well, it is a very Protestant state, as we as we recall from the 1960 uh, Democratic primary. So, uh, I think, generally speaking, you're right. But there's some, there is some stuff. We, you know, it's not like Maryland where you got the crab cakes, but 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 there's some stuff. And we had a local uh, Shepherdstown uh, coffee shop provide. Um, well, they do other stuff. Uh, and they provided like this really cool like lemonade, and then we had a local um, flower farmer who, who provided some amazing flowers, and uh, it was co-hosted by my friend Van Applegate, who's a um, sort of uh, a photojournalist at CNBC, and my friend Brian Ellsworth, who runs a local music store where my son takes music lessons. So it was a community event, Bill. Excellent. And uh, I, I've seen you uh, on all sorts of uh, media platforms. Now, you and I talked about the book for the Washington Monthly, and that's going to be published in Q&A form, uh, I think, tomorrow. Uh, but I got to clean up the transcript and send it in. Um, uh, so we probably shouldn't talk too much about the book itself, since yeah, there's, there's plenty of other places enough of that. Do that. But I will say, Bill, just the diversity of places I've been and and I'm afraid I'm I'm sure I'll miss something but like I've been on the Young Turks talking to to Jank I've been on David Pacman's podcast 
Pac-Man's a uh, Northampton, uh, Northampton zone, David Pac-Man. Northampton zone. We had a great conversation. And he's got, a, by the way, like a huge following. He just got a, sh- a shout out from uh, Howard Stern the other day. I, I, I literally did Pac-Man's show when he was in high school out of the you know community radio station building down the street for me. And he's literally been like piecing together his social media empire since he was a teenager. It's amazing. Yeah, he's blown up. And I told him off air that I'm very impressed and proud of him. And I didn't think he would do this good, frankly, because he's too sane, you know, normally to like to blow up in the YouTube world, you have to be a little bit eccentric. The secret of Pac-Man. And I know we're, we're getting way off track here. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't know if he did this deliberately or not. I sort of picked up on it. Like it's it's kind of like like a Jerry Springer or Maury Povich kind of thing, at least when, when he started out. Like he was always the same person into like, oh. the craziest people possible. <laughs> and so that made for an interesting dynamic where he was sort of – He's, he's like a straight man. He's, he's, yeah. like a, he's like an everyman standing, like talking to all these crazy characters, but with more much more of a political bent than you get in a Springer or, or a Povich type show. Uh, and so I think he's, I mean, that's, I think the model that has worked really well for him. So I did Megan Kelly's show. That was one of my best, I think. Um, she really uh, did a good job of highlighting the book. So thank you, Megan Kelly. I was on Michael Malice's show. It's a friend of mine who, who's a, essentially an anarcho-capitalist. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I guess considered to be on the right. We've we've taped a C-SPAN book notes uh, with A.B. Stoddard interviewing me that hasn't aired. I was on uh, Caitlin Collins's show, The View. Is it, no, I'm sorry, it's called The Source mm-hmm. on CNN. I was on Jake Tapper's show on CNN. I was on the 10 o'clock show that's normally Allison Camerata with with. Laura Coates. I was on Morning Joe. That's sort of where the book debuted. I was just on Stephanie Rule's MSNBC show, The 11th Hour, uh, last night. Um, and I, I'm sure I'm forgetting all sorts of, you know, podcasts. Uh, is, you, is, you, is, your, is your Fox News and, suspension over? Are you allowed on Fox News? Well, Will Kane, uh, who I think seems like a good guy, had me on his, pod, his Fox News podcast. But I cannot get on uh, any Fox News TV shows, despite uh, my best efforts. So if I you know you're... anybody out there, put in a good word. I mean, Megan Kelly is sort of you know Fox adjacent for former former Fox. Yes, um, she her show was great. Uh, oh, Andrew Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, like a two hour conversation with him. I literally had to stop in the middle and make hot tea and honey to uh, and with lemon to to like <laughs> survive that one. Uh, just because it came at the end of my day and it was a two it was a two hour long show. So, I mean, you know, I have been I've been on every, you know, show except for Jeopardy, basically, <laughs> in the past week and a well, half. It's very exciting. <laughs> so, I, Mary, our friend Mary Catherine Ham has a podcast. Uh, get, I think it's called Getting Hammered and uh, <laughs> something like that. So I was we you know, you name it. I've been there. Did anyone give you a harder time in their questioning than me? Um, yes. And here's one thing I learned about the book, the book rollout or the book tour is, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't help you if someone has you on their show. Um, it helps you if you have a good interview. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess it's possible that a really bad interview <laughs> that went viral 
Um, oh, I forgot to mention, I was also on NPR's Morning Edition. Steve Inskeep. With Steve Inskeep, that's a big one. Um, but uh, so I would say like the best interviews I had in terms of someone really kind of, and maybe this is just, they asked me the questions I was ready for. Maybe it's like I was in the zone, but I felt like um, Morning Joe, Jake Tapper and Megan Kelly were my best interviews. The interviews that that I don't, think went as well were actually um, with uh, with Jank and with David Pacman. Um, and, it's, and it's partly because um, I'm grateful that they had me on, but it's partly because um, after, you know, e- each of them let me give my spiel. Oh, you know what? By the way, I, I keep forgetting. I forgot Jonah Goldberg's podcast, mm-hmm. The Remnant, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorites to listen to. That one I think was really good too. So check it out, The Remnant. But um, with with the Young Turks uh, and David, um, half the show was them sort of telling me why they disagree mm-hmm. with the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that really uh, helps, in my opinion. <laughs> like, you know, and, and so in the case of Jank, for example, uh, he, he essentially was making the point that like, yeah, the stuff you talk about, Matt's true, but it's just. Bare, scratching the surface. The mm-hmm. real issue is campaign finance reform. We mm-hmm. have to get all the money out of politics mm-hmm. and go to public financing or something like that. Mm-hmm. But my book's not about that at all right. for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is I tried to pick reforms that I thought were like implementable without a constitutional <laughs> amendment. Right. So um, uh, anyway, but I, I am, it has been a, uh, a, a spectrum a wide variety of shows, left, right, and center that I've done. And uh, if I seem even less coherent than normal, Bill, it is because I'm exhausted. And I'm normally in bed at eight o'clock, tucked in with my Girl Scout you know, uniform press neatly folded. <laughs> uh, and last night I was on uh, the 11th hour of the 11th hour. So <laughs> I'm still recovering. Uh, well, while you've been taking off, uh, Ron DeSantis has been sputtering down the runway. Uh, we we've talked about DeSantis a lot on this show. For I mean, I I, I, I find myself tweeting about um, or xing, I guess uh, DeSantis a lot um, more than I probably should. It's probably boring, but I just find it's a never ending. With, with you know, when someone is falling apart, you know, it's fun to kick them while they're while they're going down uh, and. And it just was an endless supply of of uh, case studies of failed campaigning to pick over. Um, but uh, are are you at all surprised that he's having this hard a time? No, uh, not at all, Bill. Um, you know, you were way ahead of the curve saying like, well, maybe Ron DeSantis shouldn't run. Did you write that back in when, March? I, I wrote that in April. I, I wrote that he should take a pass, that he had the theory of the case wrong. I mean, with a s- small camera that if if he completely restructured what his strategy was going to be and went at Trump in a much more holistic way, fine. But the I'm Trump-like but more competent strategy was cl- had clear evidence of not clicking. Uh, and we talked about one reboot after another with the Santa's like, there's no rebooting. It's the same campaign. Yes. Like maybe he's going on a different TV show, but like the strategy is the same. I'm a more competent Trump every single time. Uh, or I'm a more conservative Trump. Um, like 
That's the Ted Cruz strategy that failed uh, eight years ago. And surprise, surprise, he's got Ted Cruz people surrounding him on, on his campaign staff. Uh, so I always thought he had the theory of the case wrong and nothing that's happened since has changed my mind. So you made that point in April. You and I had that discussion here. I think I pushed back a little bit. I think I I thought you were being maybe premature or right. a little too harsh. And then within two weeks, Bill, I think I probably wrote my piece at the Daily Beast saying right. DeSantis should not <laughs> run. Right. Uh, as is often the case, you you uh, talk, you know, enlightened me, and I started thinking about what you had to say. Um, you know, and, I, I, and I guess I another concluded. podcast called Politics, Politics, Politics by uh, from, with Justin Young. We talked about this for a very long time, so I, I won't go over everything I, I said. But one point that I made, one of the pushbacks that I got, uh, I think most prominently from Ross uh, Duth. I think Ross Duth had said this in the Times. Um, yes. Uh, that you know he had to because this is his moment, and the Trump fatigue factor could still come. I think he wrote recently that that we he, we still could get Trump fatigue. We shouldn't say definitively that that won't happen because you know the Chris Christie strategy isn't working. So why should we assume that going at him with the two, the two by four is is the way to go? Uh, and I, I think in and I and I did not think this at the time. So I'm not trying to I'm not trying to argue that I was all knowing. Uh, but I think in retrospect, if DeSantis had a moment, it was between November and January. It was not February, March, April. Um, there was a moment when Trump's numbers sagged after the midterm, and there was a lot of commentary from a pretty broad swath of Republicans that Trump's meddling in Republican primaries was unhelpful to the party. And that's where the Trump-DeSantis margin became narrowest. Now, and DeSantis is thinking at the time, which I think at the time was justifiable, was Trump's on the decline. Let's keep our hands clean of it and let's let that happen organically while we spend the next five months racking up wins in the Florida legislature. A logical conclusion to make at that moment, but disproven by March... When DeSantis started his book tour and Trump got indicted. Um, so, but I think if, if DeSantis was smarter than almost anybody else and said in December, I'm going to announce, I'm going to drive the stake into Trump while he's on the decline and say, this midterm is his fault. He is toxic. He is dead weight. We've already had tons of wins in Florida. I look at what I did in Florida this midterm. I'm the success story. He's the loser. You know, onward to 2024, that could have been different. Maybe, um, maybe. But but I will say this, because I think that uh, what you've just described, the, the, the so-called moment that Ron DeSantis had, was largely about Donald Trump. It was about Donald Trump being weakened. It, it And, and, and in contrast, Ron DeSantis having won an election, but it's not about people liking Ron DeSantis. And that to me, that is what changed my mind about Ron DeSantis. It, it's, it's that um, I think on paper, he had a very plausible argument. Donald Trump is a loser. Donald Trump lost in 2020. Um, Donald Trump just cost Republicans yet another midterm. Um, Donald Trump uh, you know, is a liability. Um, Donald Trump never really achieved any 
call he where's he didn't build the wall there's no so DeSantis by contrast is is younger is more competent and is actually a winner in terms of having won in Florida but then the problem I think the fundamental problem and the thing that changed my mind is not about DeSantis's strategy or failure to attack Trump it's about the fact that Ron DeSantis is utterly unlikable he's not he has no charisma he's not you, you just you do not like him. Um, and honestly, I'm finding myself liking Donald Trump more, like in contrast. <laughs> like This, this is going to upset the filthy rich politicians bitch uh, if you start <laughs> talking about Donald Trump. No, I think there's a weird psychological uh, thing happening. And, and, and I wonder if it's just me or, or if this is with other people, too. Um, but, you know, obviously, I've been a major Trump critic for a long, long time. I think Trump is is uniquely dangerous. Having said that, when I look at people like Ron DeSantis, who are saying just as mean things as Trump, um, and yet lacking the charm, lacking the humor that Trump has, you know, lacking the authenticity. I mean, Trump lies all the time, and yet he is kind of authentic. You know, he's an honest liar, as Dave Chappelle said. And I see other people doing it. Vivek Ramaswamy um, is clearly... Uh, you know, like a bad actor, uh, but he's also ambitious and phony, you know, so at least training and he lacks the, the humor of Trump. So like, uh, I think there's this weird thing happening where like people and even Nikki Haley with her cloying, you know, furrowed brow, it's like, okay, fine. Give me the funny guy at least. He may, maybe he's horrible, but uh, he's not a phony. So anyway, I'm having this weird. I uh, push back on you slightly. I, I think DeSantis is a bad general election candidate uh, for a lot of the reasons that you just said. Um, but his favorable rating amongst Republicans is still quite good, really good. Um, so I think I mean I think the problem with taking down Trump is that it requires not just one person making the critique like Chris Christie doing it by himself is in no way sufficient. And I don't even think even having, I mean, mean, maybe if you had every presidential candidate doing it, you'd get more traction, but even then there's obvious self-interest there. You need it to go beyond just who's running for office. And it's got to be with a wider swath of Republicans in the party. It's got to puncture the conservative media echo chamber. So even someone who is, you know, Trump, uh, sympathetic can it can get into that person's head. Yeah, I like the guy, but boy, he's, he's sure going to be dead weight in, in November 2024. I, I don't know if we can do it this time around. Um, and I think there was like the inklings of that in November, December um, that got shut down after the indictment. And this is why I think Trump was very canny. Uh, you know, the smartest thing Trump has done this whole campaign is announcing the indictments himself before they are formally announced. And so he sets the narrative about that indictment, at least amongst his fellow travelers, amongst Republicans, and gets them riled up right out of the box. And so it's much, much harder for another Republican to cut against that grain because you're asking for a lot of heat once Trump has fired the first, the first shot. Uh, and if Trump could have been more severely weakened before 
the indictment because DeSantis got in and he got other Republicans to at least echo the critique, uh, it might have been a different story. I still, you know, I, I I don't want to get into a huge argument about this, but I still think likability, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis is is promising uh, to retool and reboot with a leaner, meaner campaign. I'm not sure how it could be meaner. <laughs> like Leaner, yes, they fired a lot of people. Meaner, I'm not sure. Bill, I cannot think of a politician, a, 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 a successful politician, maybe Hillary Clinton, although I think Hillary can be a little charming on occasion. She was charming on, on Howard Stern's show. But uh, I can't think of a less likable major politician. I mean, Barack Obama had charm. Bill Clinton oozed charisma, right? Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan, come on, the guys should be on Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. George W. Bush, was you, you, he doesn't drink, but you'd love to have a beer with him anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even John McCain, um, and Mitt Romney seems like a nice guy. He's nerdy, uh, but... Ron DeSantis seems humorless, mean, not funny. I don't think he's a good hang. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I, I think it matters. I think it really matters. And I, Trump seems fun, by the way. I mean, I, I know, you know, uh, losing your democracy may not be a blast. Uh, storming the Capitol, that is definitely a buzzkill. But, um, but he's got this shtick, you know, that's like very um, Jackie Mason. I don't know who, you know, uh, to compare it to, but he's got this shtick. I mean, I, I, it's certainly possible that DeSantis would never have the legacy to go all the way, either in the prime or the general, because of all the reasons you state. I, I, I don't think he's a likable candidate. That's not my case. Uh, but I think at minimum, he could have punctured the Trump balloon if he went in earlier and encouraged other Republicans to feel it was okay to tell other Republicans Trump's bad for our party, no matter how much you might like him or feel bad for him that uh, he's, he's facing legal troubles, he is not helpful to us. Um, and now it, you've got Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson stuck making that case and everyone else is scared to do it. I mentioned the reboot, reboot bill. Um, and uh, so they're firing a bunch of people. There's like a high overhead, uh, high burn rate, you know, the kind of stuff that um, Scott Walker kind of lost his front runner status over back in 2016. So, I mean, it, it probably is smart that they're that they're doing this. But one of the people who got let go was uh, Nate Hockman, Nate Hotchman. I'm not sure, even though he's been on my podcast no less than two times. You still can't pronounce his last name. <laughs> it's either Hockman or Hotchman, but I don't know how to pronounce Ben Dominic's name either. So it, it, it's, you know, it's not an insult. But um, this, so this is an interesting story. Um, Nate uh, Hotchman, we'll, we'll call him, um, was a young up and coming conservative that seemed to bridge the gap between mainstream conservatism and the new right kind of nationalism. And um, I had him on my podcast before, kind of when he was like a, a college student, I think, or right after college, the first time. And um, I think he was like a Claremont fellow or something. He ended up, he was working at National Review. He had a, um, 
a column or an op-ed or something that got published about a year ago in the New York Times for someone who's like in his, I think, early 20s. That was very prestigious. And I think he was, and and maybe still is, I don't know, um, was poised to be kind of an up-and-coming conservative star representing someone who could speak about the new right in a, you know, in a way or kind of represent the Josh Hawley, J.D. Vance kind of wing in a way that I that I certainly can't. Uh, he was obviously partial to uh, Ron DeSantis. Um, he was involved in a controversy um, having to do with Twitter spaces. I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember I don't. the details. Uh, so he he has been involved in a controversy where I think he was talking to someone who was like like a white nationalist or something. And he seemed to maybe throw this person softballs. And anyway, I don't remember the details, but the most recent thing is he was just fired. He was like a speechwriter for Ron DeSantis. And I think this speaks to uh, Ron DeSantis being very online and being very weird in some of these videos that are being produced and promoted by the Ron DeSantis world and, and in some cases the Ron DeSantis campaign. So um, anyway, this guy was fired for, I guess, producing and, uh, and, and, and promoting this video that had some uh, Nazi imagery in it. Um, and to me, I mean, I'm sure it, it, it tells us something about the DeSantis campaign, but to me, it's also a cautionary tale. Like this was a young guy who seemed to be poised to really bridge the gap between mainstream conservatism and uh, the new right. And I feel like um, maybe he went a little too far in the, in the new right direction. But, I mean, we're at a place now where DeSantis is essentially shifting blame to staff by firing staff uh, and not acknowledging the flaws in his own strategic thinking. Uh, you know, there's been this, we've seen the past 24 hours that Nate others got fired because the campaign was too online. You know, New York times um, profile of him of DeSantis last year talked about how his staff was, you know, tracking libs of TikTok to pick up on things for DeSantis to get upset about. I mean, this has been an online operation for a very long time. Uh, and it's, uh, it, and in many ways helped him get to where he got to be. I, I, I always thought it was weird. I always thought it was not uh, a good long-term strategy, but then I sort of second-guessed myself because he won re-election by nearly 20 points. Um, uh, so it's not like, I mean, I, I don't know how rogue he was going, this guy Nate, in producing these videos, but he in no way was he out of step with the thinking of DeSantis going back several months, even before he announced uh, you know, DeSantis has leaned into every controversy ever since he ran for governor the first time. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I just don't think that DeSantis as a human being has figured out or is willing to figure out uh, that this is that both, both you and I have previously stated the race is Trump or no Trump. Like that is the choice that is on the minds of Republican voters. Trump makes these campaigns about him. When he gets indicted, he makes this about him. Are you you with me or against me? And no one cares about your border plan or your tax plan or your DEI plan or what you're doing with Disney or Bud Light or whatever until you get past the question, 
Trump or not Trump, that's all irrelevant yeah. and all the wacky <laughs> videos you make are not going to change that. But these videos too, just, just, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I mean, I'm sure everyone has seen the one video uh, that kind of tries to get to the right of Donald Trump and cast mm-hmm. Donald Trump as being pro trans rights or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But like these videos are bizarre. Okay. I mean, we're, it's not Pepe the Frog, but it's like memes like that, like yeah. quick shots of like weird pop culture memes that I don't know what they are. And mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred years old and I'm a political columnist who, I mean, I would assume I follow this fairly closely and you would think that like, how 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 on earth does some guy who lives in Davenport, Iowa, know what the hell these videos are about? They just they seem utterly bizarre, like flashes of like pop culture imagery, and in some cases perhaps Third Reich imagery that I don't even know what they are. But you know, presumably some you know like Blake Masters is watching these in Arizona applauding. I, like, who knows what these things are? And and even if there is a contingent of very online, highly educated young white dudes who love this stuff, like, how does it play in Peoria? Like, does anyone in Des Moines have any idea what this is? And And when they see it, doesn't it turn them off? Don't they think it's just bizarre? But this, this is, this starts at the top. DeSantis starting his campaign on Elon Musk's Twitter spaces and talking about all these obscure issues that that what I've described as a Republican wine track cares about. He's always been stuck in that niche, which is not enough to win a Republican primary, let alone a general election. Crack track or the meth track. I think the problem <laughs> with the wine track is, even though I know what you're getting at, what these are you know, Ivy League educated weirdos in many cases, but wine implies uh, a sort of suburban normalcy. These, this is, I, we need a different word for this. Well, I, I don't know what there is a legal substance of choice. <laughs> I know, I know Musk likes the ketamine, but maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's the, the ketamine, ketamine track. track. I like that. I don't know if I don't know if Musk's use of ketamine is a real selling point, considering how he's handling his business these days. Well, the other day I I was on Twitter and I kept getting alerts that I was getting tweets, but I, I couldn't. I'm like, my browser shut, you know, like the tabs shut down. I, tw- I don't have Twitter open. And then I realized that it, they had changed it to X. Mm-hmm. Like not only have they changed the branding to X, but even like the little tab looks different now. I, I couldn't. So I'm, I'm trying hard, you know, in the midst of this book tour to keep up with changing pop culture bill. And we know it's just a matter of time before uh, you and I both completely lose touch because the Elon Musks and, uh, and, and uh, you know, Nate Hockman's of the world uh, have got Pepe the Frog everywhere. And, uh, and where, where, where are you on now? X and, we're versus... still, and we're still talking about Dick Gephardt and Tom Dash. <laughs> <laughs> where are you on X versus Threads? Well, I'm the last person to ask because I, I like threads and I would have liked to have had the luxury of, of kind of transitioning to threads. But because um, I'm in this book tour trying to like sell books and leverage uh, leverage my platform to whatever degree I can to get people to to buy filthy rich politicians, I've essentially just been on Twitter, partly because that's where um, 
I have the most followers and, uh, but who knows if they see my stuff? That's the problem, Bill. You know, in the olden days, you would have seen, if you followed me, uh, you would have seen me tweeting. Uh, now, I, I don't even know if people see what I'm tweeting. And I'm tweeting into the void occasionally. Well, I mean, Twitter X, um, you know, they still have the chronological feed. But uh, it's all like the algorithm, isn't it? I mean, why don't, why don't I mean, if you're if you're stuck on the for you tab, then you're getting the algorithm. Since oh, I see. But I mean, I I never use the for you tab. I mean, but I have my. By default, putting you back to for yeah, you. But, I mean, now I I can't regularly use TweetDeck, and so I won't be able to use TweetDeck at all. And that was how I, I I I have like a whole bunch of lists. That's how I handle Twitter. You know, I, I have a journalism, I have a journalist list. I have a White House congressional correspondence list. I have a liberals list. I have a conservatives list. I have a list for certain publications. I have a Matt Lewis list. Um, you know, this is how I keep track of things. And I get, it was all on one board. And so you can kind of, you know, multitask very easily. Uh, so that's being taken away from me. I got to pay for that if I want to use that going forward. Uh, I still have my list, but I have to toggle between them on the Twitter app, either on the desktop or on the phone. But when I'm on my journalist list, that's still coming in chronologically. That's not coming in via algorithm. And so I can sit on that all day and track news as it breaks and react to it in real time. Um, I can't do that on threads as it stands. Supposedly these more features are coming, but until there's a chronological feed, I mean, I also would really want to see lists, be able to make lists there. Um, but at minimum without a chronological feed, I can't follow news there. And when I post there, I can't be confident that my followers see it in real time. Mm. Um, so, I am desperate to get out of the clutches of Elon Musk. Like I'm not, I mean, X in some ways is just a symbolic name change. Maybe who cares, but it's part of some sort of larger uh, strategy on Musk to like make this an everything app that handles your finances and take over the universe. Like I, I'm not signing on to like help Elon Musk take over the universe. So I want to get out, but threads needs to get more features very quickly. If, if it's going to take advantage of this moment, I think. Yeah, I, I heard that he was like pushed out of PayPal or something because he tried to do this. That maybe it was PayPal, some other famous. Yeah, no, app. he, he wanted to change PayPal to X dot com. I don't, yeah. I don't know. If that was the only reason why he got pushed out, but he tried to do that. It didn't work. And I also heard that like Meta and Microsoft both have claims to the name X. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know how serious that is, or it's going to really come to litigation or not. Um, but let me just say, like. In recent years, I've become very hostile to these tech bros and finance bros, um, whether it's like Josh Hawley or Elon Musk or Peter Thiel. Um, there just seems to be like a proliferation of these very, I don't even want to say young anymore, right? I mean, like some of these guys aren't really, they're kind of Gen X middle age now like us, but they're just, they're, they're very smug and they, um, they seem to be very self-righteous and utterly convinced that they know what's right. And I just think they completely lack wisdom. And, um, I guess I'm guessing that, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, and 
folks were always um, weirdos, but maybe we just didn't know it before social media. But man, um, well, there's always been eccentrics, but you know, must seems to be of you know a very high order uh, to the point where I mean, he doesn't seem to be making decisions that make business sense. Uh, and this Vivek Ramaswamy is right in line with all of them, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, smart, this, I mean, this is more of a vanity like, project for Ramaswamy, and it's just I mean, like having a rich guy want to run for office and spend his money on like that's not new. I, I think it's very weird for someone to buy. I, I granted, Twitter was not making money, so you can say it wasn't a thriving company, but it clearly had an audience. It clearly had some successes. It had people that really like the product, uh, buy it for $44 billion and proceed to take away features that people liked and actively berate the staff that put it together, insult the customers, uh, and narrow the people that have affinity towards the product. Like that makes it seem not, not just, not just a, an ego trip, but a, an anti-capitalist ego trip. You're you're not doing things that normal level-headed business people would do. Yeah. Uh, And that's what bugs me just from a personal standpoint. And that's my problem with modernity. I mean, and I realize, you know, like, this is why when people get to be like 80 or 90 years old, they're like, I'm ready to go home to be with the Lord (laughs) because I don't, (laughs) I don't want to be here anymore. Like, Everything that I've known my whole life about that I've learned, whether it's Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, or Peter Drucker, or Stephen Covey, or John Maxwell, Viktor Frankl, I don't know, anyone who's written about wisdom and life and leadership and even business have espoused certain values that are utterly out of step with the Trump era and with the Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and Vivek Ramaswamy, like all of these people who are wildly successful. And I realize a lot of them started off on third base and think they hit a triple, but still, um, I'm more than willing to adapt to like new technology and a changing world. But I, I, I always thought that there were uh, fundamental values that had to do with human nature that were immutable. Um, and I still believe that that's true, but not to the degree I thought it was in, in terms of success in the business world. Uh, those have, have dramatically changed. Um, to segue a bit, we didn't talk about this beforehand. Uh, have you seen Barbie? I have not seen uh, Barbie or Oppenheimer yet. I, I, I didn't get to Oppenheimer. I would like, would like to see Oppenheimer. Uh, but I, this is the first time I went to an opening weekend for a movie. I, I can't remember when I did that last. Certainly not ever since I had children, and, and I think probably several years even b- before that. So I, so it's fun to do it with the full family. That sounds uh, fun, yeah. I mean, we've, I mean, we've occasionally gone to the theater with the kids, but it's pretty rare. Uh, and more rare to even do it with like a large crowd, you know, because you go to movies most of the time now, it's like five people in the theater. It's it's not the same experience of excitement. Uh, and so it was sort of nice to kind of give them a taste of the, what it was, what it used to be like 
to go to the movies. And, you know, I, I kept away from, you know, reading reviews and stuff. Uh, so I didn't know, and I don't want to give spoilers here, uh, but I was surprised at how overtly political uh, the movie was uh, and really, you know, tackling gender politics head on. Uh, and so it, it, it does get into a lot of this kind of, you know, bro culture that we're talking about here with, with, with Musk. That's why I bring it up. I don't need to go deep into it if you haven't seen it yet. Bill, will you be burning Barbies like like Ben Shapiro? You will not be doing that. <laughs> Did you dress like Ken? We, <laughs> we, you- we, all, we all, three of us wore pink, including myself. I have one pink t-shirt that I, that I wore. Um, it, it's, it's I, I don't want to say strange, but I mean, Shapiro is one of these people that really was pushing the go woke, bro, go broke, argument that these these I mean, it's sort of like the anti it's the flip side of the musk argument all these big corporations are bending over backwards to do woke content for political reasons even though they don't make money uh, and so every time some movie came out that had a liberal bent that was a bust Shapiro and others would would guffaw I'd be like this proves the point that no one wants this no one wants to see the these types of movies or these types of TV shows or what have you and Barbie disproves the point. Um, I mean, not every liberal themed movie is going to do well. I mean, there's a question about movie quality. If it's a funny movie, <laughs> then that is liberal I mean, theme is going to do well. If it's a not funny movie that's trying to be funny, then it's not going to do well. Okay, um, without but without spoilers, <clears throat> like, is it? Just, I mean, if it's just about female empowerment, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't consider that woke at all. Or, or is this, there this? I mean, not that I'm a fan of using the term woke, but like by any definition, you would call this a woke movie. I mean, it is, it is heavy into the types of things that the right would call woke. Okay. But it's a genuinely good, funny movie. It is genuinely entertaining. Uh, I mean, The Incredibles. I think we've talked about a couple of times before, like. That has, you know, not too close to uh, far from the surface libertarian themes, right? Uh, which I don't care for, but it's a genuinely entertaining movie, and I can't deny that. Well, that's what surprises me is that I'm surprised that Barbie is actually a good movie because, you know, a lot of times when you have the IP, you're going to sell tickets. It doesn't have to be a good movie. It's like a resource curse almost, and so you just make a crappy movie because. You, everyone's going to go see it opening night uh, and you cash in. You don't have to go to the trouble of actually ma- writing, of, of actually writing a good film. So I'm happy to hear whether it, I, I agree with the political agenda or not, that it's actually well made. I mean, I, I, I didn't sit through the whole 43 minutes of Ben Shapiro destroying Barbie because <laughs> uh, I have a life. But I did. I was curious. But like, I, I watched it for maybe like, like 60 seconds and I could see he, like he was just straining really hard to complain about the movie structure as well as the politics of it to sort of com- make the argument that they didn't do a good job making this movie. This was a sort of slapdash affair. Uh, and I'm sure like any, like any blockbuster type movie, like is the plot airtight? No, like, but I can say that about, you know, 99% of some are blockbusters. I mean, it's not, it's not Citizen Kane, but come on. It's- right. But, but it, there's, there's definitely thought here. Like it is not, it is not a slapdash political diatribe. It is. It is definitely. It is intricate and multi-layered, and it's a movie musical, and it's funny. 
uh, and it's and the performances are great, and the and the dance numbers are great. Uh, I mean, there's there's I mean, if you didn't like, you didn't like it. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be universally praised, but I think objectively speaking, it's it's a quality product, not a slapdash product. What I want to know is, you know, my my 12 year old has read um, uh, Richard Feynman's book. Richard Feynman, is that right? I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm very sleep deprived. But <laughs> Dr. Feynman, his book many times. You know, he was involved in uh, like the Manhattan Project. So, um, and Oppenheimer's, you know, featured in the book. Yeah. And uh, um, I want to know if I could take my 12 year old to see this movie because obviously it's it's you know got some dark themes. Right. So if anyone out there has seen Oppenheimer, um, well, let's also keep in mind that the, your twelve-year-olds might not be anybody else's twelve-year-olds. So that's true. My twelve-year-old is um, is twelve going on twenty-five. Like, what, uh, what's the darkest thing your twelve-year-old has seen? Well, God knows what he's seen that I'm not aware <laughs> of. But like, you know, like we watched, um, you know, what's the movie um, uh, where with Ben Affleck about the you know. A, a, Argo, like we've seen Argo, we've mm-hmm. seen First Blood, the Stallone movie, we've seen Red Dawn. I don't know what this which, body which, count. Which which Red Dawn? The classic Bill. Don't okay, even, all right. Of course. So if the body counts, and you know, it's up there. We're, we're but, in, but I assume Oppenheimer's not a body count movie. Yeah, it's more but a question of a, emotional psychological, psychological stuff could be more disturbing than is 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 your kid going to walk out of the movie thinking we are doomed as a planet? And and have that affect their well being afterwards. Exactly. Now he's a very uh, deep thinking, philosophical, uh, and he watched. You know what's cool, man? There are all these, there are uh, all these YouTube shows that it's not all crap. I mean, some of them really challenge your thinking. Um, and 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 uh, I we watch them together. They're made for kids, uh, but I get caught up. One's called uh, Film Theory. Um, one's called, uh, I can't even remember, but anyway, so he's a smart kid, but I don't want to, um, give him a complex. So should, (laughs) should I take him or not? Now, did you see, how much younger are you than me? What's your age now? Uh, I'm 48. Oh, so you're two years younger. So did you see the day after? No, but I remember. So when I was like in fifth grade, I think it came out. Maybe I should, I, should, I should say I didn't see the day after. Neither um, did I. But it was no, it, no. You you were younger. Than, the day after was eighty. I was eighty three. Okay, so um, you were younger than fifth grade. That's probably nine, eight or nine. Um, but everyone was talking about it, and there were kids in my class who did see it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right because I I, I I didn't see it. Was, of course, back in the day, if you didn't see it, like you didn't see it, you couldn't go back and watch it. Yes. you know, the next day. Um, and I went. I recently went back and looked at the TV guide for that day. Like, what did what did I watch? If it wasn't the day after, uh, and I think it was like Facts of Life Goes to Paris or something like that. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, obviously I remember the talk around it, and I actually I remember being very affected by fears of nuclear war throughout my childhood. Um, and I recently in reading um, uh, Reagan biographies that Reagan was affected by the day after. Yes, and it definitely put him mm-hmm. in a mindset of okay, how to, I got to find a way out of this uh, this nuclear stalemate with 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 the Soviet Union, which it didn't immediately change because Gorbachev wasn't in power yet. 
but it affected his dealings with Gorbachev. There's a little book I would recommend uh, to you. Uh, it's called Movie Night with the Reagans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out about five years ago, and it's written by a guy who was a very young communication staffer. And his job was, uh, you know, the, the, the senior staff had weekends off typically. So this guy's job was to go with the Reagans to Camp David every weekend in case Reagan wanted to write a speech or if something happened. And um, every they would watch movies together. Like the, every, you know, Reagan would host, uh, they would watch like war, they watched war games together. They watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off together. Apparently a lot of Matthew Broderick movies together. And each, <laughs> each chapter is a different movie that they watch. I think On Golden Pond might have been one of them. <clears throat> Oh, I, 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 got, I got to correct myself, Matt. Yes. It wasn't Fox Life Goes to Paris. Uh, it was the episode of Alice where uh, Vera gets married. I didn't even know Vera got married. I, 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 I would bet dollars to donuts that that's what I watched uh, that night. There also was an NBC miniseries of, about the Kennedys, which I don't think I would have watched. No. We probably both watched Alice. Let's be let's be very <laughs> honest about, about that. It's a two-parter. Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, check out. This is a, a, a an easy read, uh, but I would recommend it. I think you'd like it a lot, Bill. Uh, movie uh, Nights with the Reagans. Good recommendation. Um, we probably should stop here, uh, but there's one other topic I want to ask you about. We didn't prep this in advance, but I, but I realize I, I do want to get your take on it. Uh, no labels. No yep. no labels and Cornell West for the with the Green Party. Do you think? these third-party efforts are going to be a major obstacle for Joe Biden. Well, look, the polling right now amazingly shows that they would help Biden. There's I one think. poll. There's one Monmouth poll that, that said that. And that only, that only tested the no... It, it tested a generic third-party ticket and then tested a Joe Manchin, John Huntsman ticket. It didn't, it didn't work Cornell West into that mix. Well, let me give you just my general take then. Overall, um, you know, I, I would be open to uh, going to some sort of a ranked choice voting. Well, we're not um, going to get that. <laughs> well, not anytime soon. Yeah. But I, I, I'm just saying philosophically, theoretically, I like that idea because then you could vote for the candidate of your choice without a spoiler problem. Um, but until that happens, I, I don't like this. Um, it's sort of like in the Super Bowl, right? You don't want a referee to make a call at the end of the game that is dispositive, that, that influ that, 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 that changes the potential outcome, you know, Trump versus Biden is a serious high stakes affair. I don't want any external variables to influence who wins that. Um, and so I'm just generally speaking opposed to uh, as of now, these these potential third party efforts, but you and and you are genuinely con- concerned that they could eat into an anti Trump anti Trump majority for Joe Biden. Even though that poll shows the opposite, mm-hmm. my assumption is that it hurts Biden. But regardless of who it helps or hurts, I don't want some weird fluke 
like Ralph Nader being on the ballot or people voting for Pat Buchanan by accident to influence this. Mm -hmm. It's a big, big decision the American public is probably going to make. It's probably going to be Biden versus Trump. I think you and I probably agree on that. Mm -hmm. I don't want there to be any weird variables that could influence the outcome. Like that's a big choice. Let's let's have the American public decide on that. I mean, it's what's all <clears throat> I agree with everything you said. Um, of course, the problem is, is that Cornell West and no labels don't seem to agree with that <laughs> line of thinking. Yes. And we can't make them do what we want them to do. Now, maybe maybe no labels can be psyched out. Maybe enough pressure can be put to bear on no labels. Uh, doesn't seem like it at the moment, but. Clearly, that's what people, people like third, the folks the third way, and their other groups that are propping up, trying to essentially, you know, scream into their eardrums like your 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 logic makes no sense. Like they've said, like, well, if it's not Biden Trump, then we won't do it. Like, what are you talking? <laughs> like, why is that be that configuration? Well, I think their argument is that these are two very bad candidates. I mean, you've got one guy who's a million years old and clearly lost a step. And you've got another guy who tried to stop the free, uh, you know, peaceful transfer of power. These critiques are not equivalent. To, you know, that's the, that's the, what's, what's nuts about it. Um, that you're saying, well, we think they're both, you're, it's, it's, it's a Green Party type argument. They're both equivalently bad. But if it was Biden DeSantis, they're not equivalently bad. So someone DeSantis is such so, so Biden is is ineligible no matter what. But only Trump uh is so bad that we would come in if it was DeSantis or Vivek. Um yeah, look, or, I mean, I think their rationale is that the American public deserves better than an old guy who has clearly lost a step. But, or Donald but Trump. who do they have to offer? Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you, Bill. I'm just telling you what I think. That is their rationale. Well, that's their rationale, but, but their rationale doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's a self-serving rationale. It doesn't actually add up, which I think yeah. the, the the critics are trying to sort of beat into them so they snap out of it. Uh, but so far, they're not snapping out of it. Uh, you know, the, the Green Party types forever say the Democrats and Republicans are equivalently bad. So you're never going to crack that that nut. Um but the Green Party has had a hard time getting onto all 50 state ballots uh, and only made an impact in 2000 when the race was so hair-splittingly close, which maybe would happen this time around, therefore, uh, would be an issue. But, you know, the Green Party folks have a point that a good number of Green Party voters would not vote for either candidate no matter what. Uh, just that, you know, Florida and New Hampshire 2000 were like literally like dead even ties that a handful of folks who can make a difference. Um, what I think is weird about, well, the main things that are weird about no, no labels is they don't have a candidate. <laughs> um, they're going on a, on a wing and a prayer that some ticket's going to materialize that everyone's going to love so much. But there's, I mean, there's names being bandied about that have no obvious currency with a wide swath of the public. Uh, and the, the best examples of third-party candidacies, which, of course, didn't even win, but your high watermarks are, you know, Ross Perot and Teddy Roosevelt, and then after that, George Wallace. Um, these are people who had high personal profiles, um, had certain charisma, 
and had issue sets that were distinct. It wasn't some sort of committee product mush that you know, no one has put out a platform that is just mush to try to appeal to everybody. Um, they don't have anyone being named that has anything remotely close to the personal connection that Perot and Roosevelt and Wallace had with any niche of the American public. Uh, so why would you think you're going to be the ones to pick this lock? It's, it's based on the notion that Biden and Trump are so universally disliked that they'll take almost just any random combination you put up there. And you, you're just cherry picking poll numbers to make that point. There are a lot of people who are going to vote for Biden and Trump in a, in a three-way, four-way race. They're, they're probably both going to clear 40%, if, if not 50 for one of them. Uh, so it's all very based on like the thinnest cherry picking of poll data. Um, but of course, if they can't connect the dots themselves, they're going to do it anyway. We're all going to have to, you know, make the best of it. Indeed. Uh, I, I just hope that they don't mess something up inadvertently. Uh, this should, you know, this is a, a big decision and I don't want there to be some fluke that throws a, one, one state bill could be the difference. We don't well, need look, I mean, I, my guess is. It's very hard to get in all fifty state ballots. Only only the libertarians have done it recently. I mean, they've put and they took them you know years to get to that point. And even their candidates don't you know make that much of a difference at the end of the day usually. Um, so it would be I would be surprised if no labels could get on all fifty. Uh, they could probably clear forty, um, but so if they if they can't get on all fifty. Like even if they name somebody and they and they make it a, and they give it a good go in the summer and fall, but they can't get in all fifty and they're not polling remotely well enough, do they have enough wherewithal to say, okay, forget it, we're going to drop out, or are they so are they so deep into this that they, that they won't be able to pull the plug? Probably the latter, mm-hmm. unfortunately, mm-hmm. because they claim they're an insurance policy. That's what they're. Oh, we're not, we're just an insurance policy. We're just just in case. People don't like Trump and Biden. and worst want to put the pieces of infrastructure in place to be there for yeah. them. Um, then they should make a pledge now that they'll get out if they don't meet a certain criteria yeah. at a certain point, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Bill, uh, uh, it's good to talk to you. I, I don't know if we've been... If we now, you and I did do an interview for Washington Monthly. You, yeah. you, you interviewed me, so we have spoken, but I don't know if we've gone this long without a DMZ. And it's been a while, we it's we went a couple of weeks without doing one, and and it, maybe it's been a decade since we <laughs> since that has happened. And uh, then we're probably going to be off for another couple of weeks. So this was your oasis here. This was yeah. If you're if you you, you, big, you you got a vacay coming up, right? I'm going to take a little R and R. So if you're part of the DMZ army. Uh, I hope you're sated from this because it's going to be a little time before we get back in the swing of, of churning these out. You know, we are kind of the Cal Ripken of, uh, of podcasts generally, but, uh, but not, except, but not except just unlike Cal Ripken, we're taking vacations. Yes. Except we take, we don't play except, every, every that one caveat. <laughs> we, we used to be the Cal Ripken. <laughs> um, and now we are the Wally Pip. <laughs> of of uh podcasting so until uh until next time bill share always a pleasure all right take care all right see ya